as we come before God, he makes us holy. And holiness is about our belonging to God, that we belong to God. We do not belong to other gods. We do not belong to other things. We find belonging only and exclusively in our God. So this morning, I want to read from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 to 18. So if you've got a Bible next to you on your phone, feel free to pull it out and read along with me. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people and do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So our scripture this morning comes within what's generally considered the holiness code. So this is the laws that are given after the scapegoat passage around what it means to be holy. And it has kind of five sections that I've broken up. And we'll, we won't address all of these this morning, but the first one talks around, if you want to bring the slide up, that we spent a chapter talking about we don't eat blood. The main reason, um, some of these I'll go into it, the main reason is around blood is seen as sacred. That again, if we look back, this image that we're holding in the back of our mind is Genesis and all that is good. And God is good and creates life. And blood is life. And God is the one that holds life. And to take life through Leviticus, you see, to take even an animal's life, there's a process, there's an order, there's a right way to do it because life is sacred. And we don't take life willy-nilly. We, there's ways to go about it well. And this thing of we don't eat blood. If we're eating meat, there's ways we go about it. Then it goes into a whole bunch of unlawful sexual relationships, relationships that we're not meant to have. It moves into just the scattering of these not necessarily related laws which our passage comes in. Then we get the punishment for sins and finally some rules for the priests. And as kind of mentioned, this comes in the framework, I want to read from Leviticus 8, 3 to 4, of you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. That the Israelites have come from this way of life, this under the system of Egypt, 
and they're about to head into a country that's got its own practices, its own ways, and God takes them, okay, you've come out of here, before you go to the next place, let's spend some time figuring out the right way to do things. The season of desert or transition And I think for us sometimes, we have these seasons of transitions where things, we're, we've finished one thing, we're moving to another place, and we have this moment where sometimes it can literally feel like a desert. And God wants to do this purifying work where he says, actually, it's often only when we get out of a situation, out of a place, out of a relationship, that we can kind of get some air to, and some vision to see what was healthy, what was unhealthy, What do we actually want to take on as we move forward? And this is what is happening through these passages. And I think in our current cultural context, there are quite a few stories going around of people who have discovered their intoxic context, whether that's families, whether that's schools, churches, workplace, institutions. And like, what do we do? And the invitation of Leviticus is to see when you're saved out of situations like that as a grace of God. And as he pulls you out, he doesn't just let you go, okay, you've been freed from this toxic, unhealthy, deadly place. Go be free. He says, no, I now want to lead you. I want to shape you. I want to guide you and direct you. I want to lead you into life and order away from the chaos you've been in. And he does this literally after these verses by talking around unlawful sexual relations. Which he starts with, says, no one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the law. And we get these laws of basically you're not to have sexual relations with your family members. And they go into quite a lot of detail through the whole chapter of every specific relationship. And for like, for us, if you drop right into this text, if you open your Bible, start reading Leviticus chapter 19, you're going to be like, who needs to be told this stuff? Like, this seems like pretty common sense. But if you've been reading from the start of the Bible, you'd get to Leviticus 19 and you'd think, oh man, like, all these like fathers of the faith, all these people in the story so far have broken these rules. Like, there have been relationships, particularly through the book of Genesis, that break the rules. These are God's people that he calls, and they fail this stuff. And God calls it out. And we see also, it's in their history, but as they come out of Egypt, some of these relationships with family members, whether it's uncles, aunties, grandmothers, grandchildren... Some, these relationships have been celebrated in the country that they came from. That God says, you've been under a place that celebrated these things, and I want to free you from that. But also, it was part of your history before that. And I know, I don't know about you, but when, we've, when you're in an institution, when you're in a family, when you're in any kind of system, often when someone new comes in, you kind of have to show them the rules, the guidelines of like, this is how we operate in this place. Maybe it's the health and safety manual. And it's kind of this stuff when I have these conversations with people where you're like, 
use kind of this statement to start of like, I know you already know this, and I know you're not going to do this, but I just have to say it to like, just to make us all safe. We have to we have to go through this process. And this is what I feel like as I read some of these passages of like, we don't we probably already know this. We're probably fine, but we probably should mention it just to kind of be on the same page. But I think in this as well, there's this invitation that like around this place, we seek to be open and honest. That there's part of naming these laws of like, actually, let's just get stuff out there. This is awkward for everyone to name. You probably shouldn't have a sexual relationship with your cousin. But like, maybe it's not this explicit. Like, maybe it's not this level. But actually naming this stuff as a community is really healthy is really good for a community. These awkward conversations that probably, particularly as Kiwis, we avoid. But Matt, like, this is pretty low bar expectations, but like, as a community, as people, let's set these expectations with each other, have these conversations. Because as for the people of God in this, this is stuff that they've actually done and fallen short of, but God calls them, again, to live in holiness. And as we move on from these laws, we get to these, what they call the various laws, is generally how it's titled in Bibles, or something along those lines. And we get laws like, if you're around someone who's aged, they don't give a, like, what an aged person is, that you have to stand in their presence, that you don't cut your body or put tattoo marks on your body, that you don't cut your hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges of your beard, that you don't use this on a scale. So it's kind of just this like, again, some laws you're like, this makes sense, like I get this. Some are like, I have no, like, what was this relevant to? Like, why is this here? And I think a couple of things I thought would be helpful as we read through scripture, not just in Leviticus, but through the rest of the law and actually other passages, what are some ways we can frame this stuff that might give it some context, both to stuff that seems really obvious to us, that there might be more depth or there might be something else happening here that we're missing, or just the weird ones. And the first is going back to this picture of Genesis, of God's ideal is life and order. That sometimes these laws might seem bizarre, but they're about working against disorder and death. And the second is that question to ask is, is this practice associated with other religions or other gods? Because often these laws are speaking into a very specific context, a very specific thing that a culture around them, maybe even in their own culture, they've adopted that actually is about worshipping other gods. An example of this, well, this is one of the most common passages when people are like, oh, let's just throw out the law, is about wearing mixed fabrics. You can't wear cotton and wool together, that's a no-go. And around it has, you can't breed animals of different types. And also you can't mix seeds. And there generally seems to be a consensus amongst commentators that this is around the mixing of things is the realm of the gods and the spiritual and the sacred. That if you think back, most of us can think of maybe Greek mythological creatures, they're often creatures that are a combination, a combination that would never work in real life, 
but a combination of two different animals. So for the Jewish people, it was like, no, this is interbreeding. That's, if you're doing that, you're heading down the avenues of other religions. Let's just cut that out. The same with seeds, mixing seeds. That is the region of the sacred. And lastly, fabrics. You can't wear cotton and wool or different types because if you read through the laws of what the priests were meant to wear, they were the ones who were meant to wear the, the mixed fabrics. So if you're wearing mixed fabrics, you were confusing the roles. Does that make sense? And sometimes the laws have these like, ah, oh, okay, that makes sense. Tattoos are banned likely because you get tattooed the God you worshipped on you. And I was like, we don't want you worshipping the other gods by getting their names, their faces, them tattooed on your bodies. So maybe just avoid it. So the two things of, on one hand, as we read a law, think, is this law about order and life and chaos? And secondly, is this maybe a law that's addressing a specific God or spiritual practice in the time. And the invitation for that second one is not to say, oh, it was just addressing like a religion around them. We can ignore those ones. The invitation there is to think, actually, are there practices that we are doing, that I, are, I am doing, that actually are worshipping other things? Whether it might be money, whether it might be fame, whether it might be power, whether it might be safety and security, are there things that we're doing in our lives that may not have a title of a God, but are kind of operating like a God. We go to them for the same things we should be going to the one and only God for. That was where we read these laws, they get super specific, but the invitation is to think, actually, that's addressing them going to other places. Where am I maybe going to other places? And I think the other thing in here is to think about how it affects all of life. I was talking through the book of Leviticus with my supervisor, and his reflection was, as we think about Jesus and who Jesus was as a Jewish man, and what he was in a world where there were multiple Jewish sects, ways of interpreting the law of God, ways of understanding what it meant to be an Israelite. And actually, he probably had things in common with a lot of the different Israelite sex. But the Pharisees, were the ones that he seemed to be in conflict the most with, but what did he actually have in common with them? And I think this reflection was that what he probably had in common with them was that the Pharisees took their faith very seriously. And their faith applied to all areas of life. It wasn't just when they went to temple, when they went to church, when they did the practices. It was actually my faith needs to have implications for every sphere. The problem was the way of getting it, getting to it for them was they came up for, uh, with a rule for every situation. And you just kind of get these more complex rules that you follow. For example, we see Jesus often criticizing them around how they follow the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath idea is you don't work on the Sabbath. But then you can get into this anxious paranoia of like, but what counts as work? And you've got to break down every potential task that you might do in a day and think, is this work? Is this not work? And you come up with these rules that people 
have to follow. And the problem with that is Scripture doesn't give that to us. Scripture, these various laws, is not an exhaustive list. It's kind of just this like, here's a few things that address your specific context, and then let's grapple together what that means for our lives. That we aren't meant to come up with an exhaustive list of what are the things we have to do, we have to say, we have to be to be holy. And I think the point of that is that you get stuck on these laws and you miss the point of them, which is we are holy with God, only through God. Holiness, following these things, is about a relationship with a God who loves us, who cares for us, who saved us, who wants to teach us to live ways of life, wholeness, and order. And just coming up with all specific laws for every situation doesn't get us there. But as we read through Leviticus, we see, oh, this is an example. Here's a way that the Israelites, God gave to the Israelites, this is how you're worshipping another God. This isn't helpful. And we can kind of do the same thing in our own lives. And the other thing through these laws is we see this kind of this tension, which is a very... Here at the well, we're a Wesleyan Methodist church following after the person of John Wesley. And John Wesley had this dynamic in his theology where it was, we were called to holiness. Here at the well, we are called to holiness. But there's an element of what we call personal holiness and social holiness. And you can't, you can't just have one. And if personal holiness is around your personal relationship with God, your own sense of morality, doing right and wrong, that is really important. That matters. But on the other end, there's the social holiness that we're called to love others through caring for them, create a society around us. It's more than just me doing the right things. We're called to participate in God's kingdom through creating this society. And most of us probably fall into one of two of those quite easily. Like, I'm quite good at getting my own life in order. And some of us are probably good at looking out in the world and being like, this is what we need to do or to solve world hunger, or poverty is the issue, or like thinking of these big social issues is kind of the way you go. One of us, are pro- some of us are like, it's personal morality, we've all got it figure it out for ourselves and some of us are like let's fix the broader society and often it leads from one to the other if you're on the personal one you're like actually if each individual took accountability for how they lived in the world that would add up to a pretty wonderful society and on the other side you you say if we fix the broader systemic stuff then individuals will get their morality in order and both have I want to say, yeah, maybe both have merit. Both have ways of approaching the world. And as followers of Christ, I think we're called to hold both. That we're called to transform our societies through dealing with systemic issues, but we're also called to live lives of personal holiness before God. And this is what, Leviticus doesn't separate these two. The laws for each are like merged, intermingled that you can't do one without the other. 
that our faith is meant to impact all of our lives, both individually but also corporately. And that's how we be a community where God's presence dwells. An example of this is around the issue of alcohol, which through particularly the last couple of centuries has been kind of one that's been wrestled in different denominations, different Christians, different ways of like, what do we do about drinking alcohol? The New Testament says something around don't be drunk, seems to be like that's the, the baseline, like drunkenness is not okay. But is there anything as followers of Christ that we're meant to do beyond that? And different movements, different people have taken that different ways. For example, like the Salvation Army, who are kind of our spiritual cousins, have taken actually, for us individually, this is probably not a moral, holy issue, but actually for my neighbors, this is an issue for them. So I, we're just going to abstain. We're just not going to go there. And for also for people who out, do outreach to the Islamic community, they can often have a similar posture. As followers of Christ, actually we can drink alcohol and that's fine. But if I'm trying to reach someone of an Islamic faith and bring them to Christ, like, alcohol's not, like, it's not that big of a deal. Let's put that aside to reach that community. Because the invitation in this is that we are to be a community who are holy before God, both individually having our lives in order because of his grace, but also as a collective making our society, our community, a place that reflects something of this image of Eden, of God's presence dwelling with people. That holiness is only found in the presence of God and true holiness is belonging to God and God alone. That as we read through Leviticus, there are a whole bunch of laws some of them seem super obvious. Some of them seem like, that makes sense. Some of them seem like this is just bizarre. But the invitation is to sit with them together with God and see what is the impact of these? What, is, what might they mean for us as a community? Because I think as we approach Scripture, it can be easy to be like, cool, these laws don't matter anymore. These ones will follow but the invitation is to sit as a community and see if there's something that God wants to say to us through them. This year we've been doing these four rhythms together as a community, practicing them. That as a community we would pray every day. That we would bless someone once a week in a meaningful way. That we would rest once a week, practicing Sabbath delight. But the third one is that we would notice God speaking through his scriptures. And the invitation as we read laws, as we read the holiness code and laws like these, 
is to, as a community, bring the stuff before God and say, God, what are you wanting to speak to me, to us, about through these scriptures? That laws about us cutting our beards are at best only relevant to 50% of us. But like, maybe there's something in there of God saying, actually, I want you to live lives that are ordered and good and point towards life that maybe could be relevant for a few more of us. And we call to bring scripture before God, before our community, and notice what God might say to us through it. I know for me, one of my most powerful encounters happened two years in a row I read through the Bible each year, and each year as I got to the prophets, and the prophets really are God calling people back to what he said in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. As I read through the prophets, what I noticed was it was talking about stories of God doing stuff to the nation of Israel, how they'd fallen short, all these kind of things, but I noticed God saying, Actually, I am calling you to a life of holiness too, David, and calling out stuff in my own life. And the invitation is we approach these laws to bring them before God and say, God, what do you want me to notice in here? And trusting that his Holy Spirit will lead us as his followers to truth and life and goodness and order through them. So I want to invite the band up this morning. And as I close, started this morning with these laws that seem obvious to us, seem like, man, everyone should know this stuff, but the invitation, let's be open and honest around like this stuff, but also actually for the nation of Israel, they had done this stuff, they had fallen short in radical ways before God, yet he still wanted to lead them to holiness, lead them to purity, lead them to a relationship with himself. And the invitation this morning, if you're feeling like as you approach God, like, oh, there's some things that I feel like I've fallen short, I'm not proud of, I've done in the past, God says, hey, that stuff still matters, I've still got laws, I still want you to be holy, but come before me into my presence and I will make you holy. Come this morning and give that, offer that to me and I will make you holy. And then as a community, let us approach the word of God, not with fear, not with avoidance, but a God is wanting to speak and move through his word. That is kind of the hope of the series. We're working through a bizarre book that doesn't make sense at it sometimes, but that God's word wants to speak through us at all times. So Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, Lord, we thank you that your word is still true, that you still want to speak to us through it. That Lord, your scripture has verses, has passages, has stories that make no sense upon first reading or seem confusing, Lord. But you invite us not to avoid, not to put down, Lord, but to bring it before you and see what you might want to say to us. Lord, I thank you that you are calling us to be a holy people, both individually and as a community. 
This morning I pray that your spirit would be prompting if there's areas that we need to bring before you and confess, give us the courage to do that. If there's areas that your spirit wants to encourage and release, come and do that. All in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sent something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.